Welcome back to Marvel News presented by Superhero News. My name is Sean Gerber, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Paul Herman. How's it going, Paul? It's going really good. <laughs> All right. Well, it's going re- <laughs> it's going really good because we're back. Uh, we've yes. Been, uh, we've been away a very long time. That's my fault. Got super busy doing stuff with uh, the Superhero News YouTube channel, which you heard at the top of the show, so in terms of this show also being part of Superhero News. Um, but anyway, doing that and then, of course, working day job stuff, which took me on the road for a while. And even when I wasn't on the road, just being super super busy uh and it's not really allowed me the time for the audio podcast so i can't i'm not here to totally promise that we're back to be here like every single week but we should be able to uh start slowly getting back into the swing of things uh but there was no way that we could let this movie and you know what i mean when i say this movie come and go without doing a review because Paul Herman and I have been podcasting together for six years now. Has it been six years? It's been six years since 2011. So, um, and one thing I've known about Paul, as long as I've known Paul, is that Paul, actually there's two things. The first (laughs) is that Paul loves Spider-Man. The second is that Paul really loves Spider-Man. So, uh, with, You're not wrong. Yeah, with Spider-Man Homecoming uh, in theaters now, we, ha- we had to make sure we took the time to do this review. I know some of you are probably, as you're wondering how quickly we're going to get caught up on things like a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 review, we'll get there, but that's not we'll going to be part of this show. This show is all about Spider-Man Homecoming. We're not going to talk about the awesome Black Panther trailer or the really, really, really crappy Inhumans trailer. Uh, This is all about Spider-Man Homecoming. So, Paul, as a devout Spider-Man fan, what are your opening thoughts? Well, um, people might have saw my reaction, pretty much my, like, 45 minute after I saw it reaction uh, the other day on Periscope. Um, I, I saw it again on Monday morning. I got up bright and early to see it. Um, it was the last day of vacation. We were home. Um, I went to an IMAX theater and I sat down and I watched it and I was in love with it just as much the first time. I think Spider-Man Homecoming is, you know, it's hard for me to put it on the Spider-Man film level as far as like the best right now. I think it's neck. It's like they're tied with, it's, it's tied with Spider-Man two. Um, Spider-Man two, I rewatched it. It's, it's older. Like when I rewatched it, I'm like, oof, this is definitely from 2002, three era, you know? Um, but still, there's so much charm to it. It's the first accurate Spider-Man film where I'm like, okay, this is 100% Spider-Man. Um, now with Homecoming, it's the same thing as I think it's 100% Spider-Man, but it's packaged a little bit differently and it's updated. Now, there's a lot of things which we'll get plenty of that, you know, you know explain a bunch of that in a little bit. Little, ugh, can't talk, so excited. A little bit later, but as a whole, I thought Spider Man Homecoming was, um, no pun intended, amazing. And I thought that it was, I'll be honest, it's in my top five MCU films. Um, it's because Spider Man probably has a lot to do with it. Um, not going to lie, but that doesn't matter because <laughs> it's my yeah. list. Yeah, exactly. it's my it's list. Your list. I don't give a language. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, that's that's how it's going to work. Sorry, Spider-Man gets like he gets the benefit of the doubt and gets the, you know, the upper hand all the time. Um, I thought there were so many great things about this movie. Um, I, it, it's funny when I think about like, OK, what I didn't like about it, I, it's I have to really 
at this point, I've only seen it twice. I have to really nitpick, and I'm not going to get into those right now. But for the most part, like this film, I think captured the spirit of Spider-Man. Yes, there are things that are different. Yes, there are things that have maybe changed or, or updated or, or whatever. How what kind of you know half glass full, half glass empty? You want to you know take it. You know, there's changes, you know, or modifications to to the character in the MCU. But I think the essence of Spider-Man has never been truer since Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's including Amazing Spider-Man 1, and includes our, um, the our first Spider-Man film, then Amazing Spider-Man 1. Um, and, I, and people will know I didn't, I don't hate Spider-Man 3 as everyone else does. Um, I was very high on Amazing Spider-Man 2 when I saw it the one time in the theater, but <laughs> I only saw it one time in the theater. And I think, and I tried to rewatch it over this, um, the summer when it came out on Blu-ray. And I'm like, yeah, this is not, this is not good. And I, I def- I defended that movie. I still think the Spider-Man parts are still fun, but Homecoming is again, it captures that essence of Spider-Man without, you know, trying to go down the traditional trope of, you know, here's an MJ, here or, you know, excuse me, Mary Jane or here's a uh, uh Gwen Stacy or whatever, right? Like we're getting like this is the first time we're getting a teenage Peter Parker, a real like teenage Peter Parker, right. not someone who's going to graduate in two weeks, you know. And um, you know, granted, like I know it, it, that's not my Spider-Man necessarily. Like I grew up with a married old Spider-Man, and so, but at the same time, the the character is stayed the same since I've I've known him. So, and he's stayed the same throughout time, and that's who Tom Holland embodied is, you know, the person who's always going to do the right thing, whether, you know, and he'll throw away the selfish ambitions. And there's the guilt factor, and that's always, and that wasn't necessarily prevalent in this movie, but the essence of that his his ever, you know, longing of responsibility overcomes him, it was all throughout that movie. And it felt so natural to in the script. And I think that's one of the things that I feel that the um, Mark Webb films didn't do as well, is that there was the sense of responsibility was forced, kind of. And it, it, Andrew Garfield was more out for revenge than, like, and, you know, than responsibility. Whereas Tom Holland's Spider-Man is totally out to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing. He's going to do the right thing. You know, even when he's, you know, yeah, he wants to join the Avengers, but which we'll get into that, but he also, you know, we've got to go into the high school, uh, you know, house party and he wants to show off in front of everyone. And he's standing there with his mask off with, in a full costume, ready to go in. And he's just like, I can't. And as soon as that big you know, explosion happens, he's like, Oh, what's this? And he immediately just is, is changed. He doesn't think about, I gotta go, I gotta go back to the party. He goes right into action. That's, Spider-Man like that is 100% Spider-Man and I love that they, they go out of their way to show this you know about the character so there's so many different things about it uh, I love it I, I really have a heart it might be a few things I can nitpick but as of right now I think it's a I think it's a, a 10 out of 10 top 5 MCU film I have no idea where to rank it in terms of MCU films, but that's not because I'm not sure how I feel about the movie. I love Spider-Man Homecoming. It's actually easier for me to rank it amongst the Spider-Man franchise specifically because I put it at number one. For it's, but it, it's different for me because I don't love even the Raimi films, which I'll put it this way. I love them, especially the first two, but 
it's not necessarily in terms of I, I, I absolutely love them as movies. Like, I think they're as great as everybody else does. I do think they're very good. Actually, I would say Spider-Man 2 is great, but I still don't put it... I never put it up there quite as high amongst the, like, upper echelon of superhero films and, and like, a top five or even, like, a top ten kind of category as a Ooh. lot of other people have. Um, well, there was a time when it was in the top five and like top True. ten, but that was back when it didn't mean anything to be in the top five because there weren't <laughs> oh, five. There, well, no, there was a time when there weren't five great superhero movies. <laughs> like in, in 2004, I don't know that there were five truly great superhero movies at that point because I actually remember Spider-Man 2. As much as people talk about The Dark Knight and how that got you know snubbed from an Oscar nomination, and it did, but... Spider-Man 2 didn't have an Oscar campaign quite like The Dark Knight did, but that was the first time I ever actually saw a I actually saw reviews and like pull quotes on TV spots of people talking about it as like a best picture of the year, um, is which is what I remember seeing from Spider-Man 2 in wow. 2004. So I can still remember that. I think even Ebert, Roger Ebert said that. I'd have to go back and try and look up like old TV spots for that pull quote, or maybe try and find his review. But anyway, so like. I remember how high the praise was for Spider-Man 2, and while I thought it was great, I still had some issues with it that kept me from not necessarily feeling like it was quite on the level as uh, every as you know as every the the level that everybody else put it on. So I think it's now I'm like just getting everybody begging for like a Spider-Man 2 commentary, which we'll definitely have to do. But um, in terms of Homecoming, so like the the bar for Spider the F- Spider-Man franchise isn't as high as like the bar for, you know, moving into the top rankings for the MCU. And it's kind of like with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 earlier this year and even Doctor Strange last year like I still have to sort out like where I rank those films because although I'm starting to like solidify it with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, like it takes a few viewings. Right now I've only seen Spider-Man mm-hmm. Homecoming a couple times like and I kind of have to live with these movies a little bit because of how much like how highly i think of the mcu films that are at the very top of my list um like i get annoyed you know even figuring out my top 10 in the mcu is getting really really hard at this point and i get super annoyed with myself but anyway getting (laughs) focusing more specifically on spider-man homecoming um yeah i think it was great i I think this was uh spider-man as i've always kind of envisioned him even though like you i mean we're we're close, we're same age. So I mean, it's, we both grew up with, with the Spider-Man comics I read was also married Peter Parker. Um, and also the animated series from the nineties was college Peter Parker. So yep. I didn't really spend a lot of time living with high school Spider-Man, but I always still thought of him as the high school kid because I hadn't seen enough comics when he was a high school kid, knowing that that's when it all started for him. Like I always had that in my mind and then when I was in high school, that was when the Ultimate comic started, and that was one of the things that got me. And all the times that I've like been really, really into comics, and then become lapsed, and then got back into them, like the Ultimate Spider-Man series was one of the things that got me back into it, because I was thinking, great, here's like a modern update of the high school Spider-Man that where a lot of that stuff had just had passed me by like a lot of that stuff was long gone by the time i came around and i was ready to start reading comics so like so there was a lot of that where i always wanted that high school spider-man and i never believed it like yeah we see toby mcguire in high school in andrew garfield but i don't believe that they're in high school like that never felt like any high school i went to like i only went to one by the way but like that (laughs) that didn't feel like the high school experience to me they didn't feel like real kids that felt like high school on tv shows is what it felt like 
Um, but Spider-Man Homecoming really feels like a high school movie. Um, and I think that's what, and I, and I mean that in the best possible way. I, I truly do mean that as a compliment because I think it's what helps this movie uh, really stand out. And we'll talk, uh, I'll talk in greater detail about that as we go on. So before we jump any further into it, since I don't think I threw one out at the beginning, this is like your official spoiler warning. This is a spoiler show. Oh, yeah. So if you haven't seen the movie, um, there's a non-spoiler review on the Superhero News YouTube channel that I'm on with uh, Mark Hughes that you can go and watch that. Uh, but if you haven't seen the, but then if you haven't seen the movie, like go see the movie and then come back and uh, watch and uh, listen to the rest of the show. But well, I guess if you saw the trailers, then there's not that much you're going to get spoiled by. But, oh, oh no! Don't there's, say there's, that. There's one. There's at least there's one big twist. But they did show a lot in the trailers. But anyway, yes. Um, I think what where I would kind of kick things off, though, with a lot of this is just because I know we're just going to say it throughout the show, so we might as well get it out of the way now. Tom Holland is just like pitch perfect as Peter Parker. And I know we I mean, we we went through this with Civil War, so we already knew what we were getting, that this guy was a really good Spider-Man. But then to see him carry his own movie. And yes, this is his own movie. More on that comment in a little bit. But like he just gets every aspect of Spider-Man. Like he's very he's very sweet. He's very like he's charming in his own little nerdy awkward way. Uh but like whether he's Peter Parker or in the Spider-Man costume, you really get the sense that like he's it's just a complete performance and in the way that you know like we've I know we've had these conversations in the past and a lot of fans have had them of well the best Spider-Man in the movie so far has been like take this piece of Tobey Maguire and that piece of Andrew Garfield and like mix them together. And like, that's how that's like the perfect movie Spider-Man. Well, Tom Holland is the best of those worlds and a whole lot more. Like I, I think he's just, I, at this point, like he's so good in this role. And that's not to say that he erases what the other guys have done. Cause there's still value in what they've done. But when you talk about going forward, like you, like if there's going to be a Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if there's going to be a Spider-Man that hangs out with Iron Man and Captain America and hangs out with the rest of the Avengers and goes in battles in Civil War and then in Avengers Infinity War, I'm glad it's this Spider-Man. Yeah, I think one of the things about the MCU Spider-Man that I think that works the best is the fact he is a fanboy. And yeah. the fact that, you know, it, it, it he really channels the younger crowd that grew that has basically grown up with the, the superhero films mm-hmm. from like 2008 till now. I mean, you know, if you're, you know, 6 years old, think of I mean, I only want to do the math off the top of my head. It's too it's too simple and I can't think. But, you know, obviously they're going to be growing up with the Avengers and and yeah. like so Spider-Man is like their age and they're you know 15 14 16 whatever and they're going to they're going to identify with this you know with this character that's a fanboy that's you know if there is superheroes in this you know in the world there's going to be you know fanboys and if a suit if a kid gets superpowers yeah. he's going to be inspired by and i think it's cool because he's inspired by them but he wasn't like completely inspired by him but it's like he's he's driven to join them improve himself and that and that makes sense it all it all comes together and i think mm. tom holland does it's funny because I, he's just the best all-around spider-man because like like you said there's not with toby mcguire i never bought a spider-man not one time and it was you know it's like he barely even said anything in the first film the second film he did a, a few quips here and there 
Um, and then the third film, there's a little bit there, but not really. And Andrew Garfield, I thought he was a fantastic Spider-Man, mm-hmm. but a poor Peter Parker. And now it wasn't all Andrew Garfield's fault because I think Andrew Garfield is a phenomenal actor. It's the it's the way they wrote Peter is the main problem in those uh, Amazing Spider-Man films. But either way, his Spider-Man was spot on. His Peter Parker wasn't. Tom Holland is. He's like, you know, he just gets everything. Like, he gets Peter, he gets Spider-Man, because they're two different people, you know? I mean, like, when he puts on the suit, he becomes a different person, you know, in a sense. You know, he becomes funny. Well, he becomes like a... I think think where the disconnect has been is that he's not a completely different person, which I think is where, like, the Andrew Garfield thing was just kind of a little bit misdirected or not written all that great or, or whatever it was. Like... He was just supposed to be like he flips the switch and now he's a completely different guy. But there has to be those moments with Spider-Man that, yeah, he all of a sudden the confidence goes up and he can start delivering quips and all that. But he's still like he is still a self-doubting Peter Parker. Like and he's still going to have those moments. So like even when he has the Spider-Man suit on, like he is going to have moments where he is emotionally vulnerable and he is insecure because like the the Spider-Man suit like obviously helps give him this massive boost in confidence but it doesn't totally change who he is and i think that's what that's where Tom Holland knows how to strike the balance because he has he can deliver really funny lines as Spider-Man but then at the same time like when when it slows down he's still got the costume on but he can still be like damn i shouldn't have told you about a churro like he can still have like yes. these little moments where he has this self-doubt and i i love that there's all of that so that's where you know we talk about tom holland being the best like all-around spider-man it's because it's his performance is so well-rounded whether he's peter or he's spider-man uh, but you can still see that even though these are different sides to his personality there is the same core person underneath each At, that's perfect because you're right it's a confidence boost he's i mean you know, in in the comic books, you know, it's it's not as drastic either. And I shouldn't say a completely different person, but he does like he does become more confident. Oh yeah, and I think a, a different side of his personality is ex- exactly what it is. It brings out that different side of him, and he becomes like that confident person. You know, one of the one of my favorite moments in the film is the very beginning where the Ramones are yeah. playing, and um, it's uh, it's so amazing because. He's just, you know, he's just out being like friendly. He's being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, yep. like exactly what you know. When I used to read comic books, even when he was an adult, he's out swinging during the broad daylight. Yep. And he's just do, you know, he's just helping things here and there. And it was, I mean, it was perfect. I mean, the Ramones playing at the same time was just, it, it was, it was fantastic. So I think that that to me, like you captured Spider-Man. In a nutshell, even though even though he's like again he's he's calling Happy Hogan, and and begging to be on the Avengers and looking for you know, I want to say self worth, but he's looking to like prove himself. I guess self worth is somewhere yeah, a little somewhat bit there. Yeah, a little bit. So I mean, you know, that's that's his, what is driving him at this point. So yeah, I, to me, like you know, again, it's different. It's packaged differently, but what's pack, what's still in the package is the same Spider-Man. And they really captured that, that first couple minutes. I mean, I, I smiled ear to ear when that Ramones come on. Cause I'm a, I'm a, I love Ramones for one, but when the Ramones song comes on and you have Spider-Man swinging around, like it's in helping people and like, you know, doing flips when he goes, Hey, Spider-Man do a flip. And he, and yeah. it's just, it was so cute. Like the whole thing was like, 
you couldn't have sold me more. Even if, even if I hadn't seen Civil War, you know, which I'll, I'll like to talk about that in a second too. That the correlate, you know, the correlation, the the, yeah. the, uh, the the difference between even the performance of Tom Holland as Spider-Man, I think, is different a little bit. A little bit. Um, I mean, it, I think it's better in, in Homecoming, personally. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it's I think it's obvious that because you'll be more comfortable with the character. But like, I love the way he plays Spider-Man. It's so perfect. He's just like, yeah, he's like helping people out. I mean, it was great. So I think that like they dispersonified that so well when he's Spider-Man. It's fantastic. Like I love, and like the bank robbery scene or the ATM scene when he comes and he's trying to like look impressive. Like I just love that. It's, it's, oh my God. It's so, I mean, that's not, I mean, that's not what I'm used to seeing in Spider-Man comics, but at the same time, like that's what a young Spider-Man would be trying to do. Like it's, it's, it fits him perfectly. So yeah, I, I think Tom Holland was 100% without a doubt, the best all around Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Well, cause I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily comes down to, Oh, has that been in the comics? But by the way, there's a lot of stuff in here that's pulled like directly from comic books. Oh, absolutely. But, like it, I don't think it's necessarily about like, has he ever done this in the comics, but would he? Yeah, probably. Like the yeah, the yeah. young Spider-Man would totally do that, even if he hasn't necessarily done it, even if we haven't necessarily seen him do it in a comic book. Like these movies are allowed to invent things for these characters to do that we've never seen him do before, as long as it doesn't contradict like the spirit of the character. And nothing about exactly. that contradicts the spirit of Spider-Man. And that's that's all his arc, like the idea of being that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and helping out. And I agree that opening sequence with the Ramones music, like it's just electric and it, it's such a great, it does such a great job of setting the tone for that Spider-Man. Like that's our first look in not counting civil war. Like in this movie, that's our first look at Peter Parker in costume as Spider-Man. And it's just perfect. And when you see, but right away you, you kind of see like where everything's going from there of like this character who, Sure, he's always happy to help out. Like he's not miserable while he like stops a bike thief or while he like helps a while he helps an old lady who buys him a churro or whatever. Like he doesn't <laughs> like all of that is totally fine for him. But yeah, he does want to reach for something bigger. But that's not. But like that's perfectly understandable because he's 15 years old. He was Spider Man for six months, and then he got to go fight at an airport with the Avengers. <laughs> like you know, got flown to Germany to go fight alongside Iron Man against Captain. Captain America. So you can imagine how that would mess with someone's expectations and why that would, you know, like think, I mean, just put yourself in his shoes. If that was your adventure and then you had to go back to high school the next week, like you probably would be a little bit bummed out and you would probably be like, okay, (laughs) now that I've reached like the top of the mountain, like I want to go back to the top of the mountain. I don't just want to stay down here anymore. Um, so there's that part of it, but then there is a part of it that it's totally Peter Parker and it's totally been in the comic books is that he does have a tendency, and this is the thing that you could only do in the MCU. You could never do it when he was isolated with no other heroes to really mess around with. Like That Peter Parker has a tendency to compare himself to other heroes, especially when he's mm-hmm. younger, because he sees these guys... And they are the celebrities like going back to the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko stuff like at that time when Spider-Man was first introduced, what the Avengers, what the Avengers are now in the MCU is what the Fantastic Four were in the 616 when Spider-Man was introduced. So Mm -hmm. like Fantastic Four was the hottest thing in comics. And by the way. I actually have to take the moment now that I'm reminded because we should have mentioned this at the top of the show. Mm. Um you know, because now, like, I'm getting choked up thinking about it. But yeah, like, oh god, because of Fantastic Four, it made me think about it. But obviously, we lost Joan Lee last week, or I should say, mm. Stan lost his wife Joan and, and their family. So, 
Uh, our condolences to Stan Lee and their entire family for the loss of Joan, because as Stan has famously told the story many, many times, when he was ready to quit comic books and get out of the business altogether, uh, it was Joan who said, well, if you're going to quit anyway, why don't you just write something that you really, really want to write? Because then if they fire you, who cares? You were going to quit. Uh, and that book ended up being Fantastic Four, which ended up leading to Spider-Man and Incredible Hulk and Avengers and everything else that we've seen uh, since then. So our heartfelt condolences to uh, the Lee family for the loss of Joan. And thanks to Joan for giving Stan the inspiration that he needed for Fantastic Four. Anyway, so like that was always something that was part of the spider-man that's been part of the spider-man mythology in fact like if you go back and look at some of the stan lee steve ditko stuff the superhero that was popping up most frequently back then was human torch because human torch was again like if we talk about like the parallels between the mcu human torch was kind of like the iron man because johnny storm was the guy who totally leaned into the celebrity that the fantastic four had of being superheroes like he was the hot shot he was the guy who was you know super like snarky and witty and everything else and, and able to talk trash and also back it up kind of like the way iron man is in the mcu so seeing all of that play out like that's why it just made it rang so true to me in this film because spider-man having to deal with at at the same time feeling like being having so much more power than any other kid but at the same time still not feeling good enough when he's comparing himself as a lot of people make the mistake of doing like always comparing himself to other people and he's comparing himself to you know the hero that's that he's been watching since 2008 since Peter Parker was what like 6 or 7 years old yeah, the, the thing for me, I, I think we talked about Fantastic Four and the comparison, and I was a little hesitant to compare the two things. So they are, they're, they're again, they're packaged very differently. But how this movie turned out, when you consider Civil War too, and I think it was kind of running through my head when you were talking there, Sean, is that you know take this guy who, like you said, went to Germany, fought with the event, pretty much was an Avenger essentially, right? Yeah, um, fought with them. And, you know, or, or against the other rebellious Revengers team um, came back and had, you know, so he went, he pretty much hit the pinnacle and then went back taking out the trash, whereas yeah. everyone else is still you know doing their thing. So it was like a hump, you know, it's a humbling experience for him. So you have the whole movie. He's, you know, you have this buildup and you can understand mm-hmm. why he'd be so anxious. But at the very end. He turns it down yep. like like the true loner Spider-Man really is. And that that to me was – I mean I was expecting him to be like, oh, great, Tony, thanks. Because, I mean, like, you know, he proved himself. When he turned it down, I honestly wasn't expecting that. I, I oh, really I was. thought – I, I wasn't. I might have even said that when we talked about it on the show. <laughs> like that he was. You gonna... might have. I don't remember. Yeah. It, yeah. But, see, I, I, I thought they were going full on – you know, he's going to accept it and, you know, I'll be here when you need me, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But no, like they full, you know, Spider-Man actually, when the, when the opportunity came, he turned it down. And I, that, I, I just, again, I talked about smiling ear to ear during the very intro to that, you know, Ramon song of Spider-Man. That was like the, the, the last like smile of the theater for me when that happened, where I just like, okay, I get it. Like they're, they've nailed it. Like they've nailed Spider-Man yep. for me that, there's no way there's no way you can build you can do Spider-Man any differently and I just kind of thought you know these are going to go a different route which I was, I was being I was okay with but this like it kept the character yeah he's going to rejoin them when, when they need him yeah. but like it's 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 perfect the way they set it up it's perfect well he's not going to like 
you know, refuse to help, but he's also not going to go move into this Avengers facility and completely abandon his neighborhood that he's, you know, that he's protecting. And so, yeah, I I agree. Like, I totally love, I, I, even though I, I did not think that he was ultimately, I I figured that he was going to turn Tony Stark down. And I, because I guess, I mean, that was part of the arc of the film that it was building to was him, was Peter Parker having this thing that he thinks he wants, that he thinks is everything and not necessarily, and then finally realizing that he already kind of has everything that he needs within himself, which is portrayed really beautifully in a moment that happens even before that, which is when he's, which where they go off of amazing Spider-Man number 33, they have Peter Parker trapped under all of that rubble uh, when he's wearing his pajama suit after uh, the vulture trapped him under there. And then, you know, the come on Spider-Man get up Spider-Man moment, which I thought like Tom Holland did such an incredible job uh, in that. Like he made you remember that this is a little kid who's trapped under all this rubble and absolutely is, like, hurting and dying and feeling helpless. Uh, and then he'd become, and then it's just totally inspiring to see him look within himself, stare at his own reflection. That is perfectly shot to be half Spider-Man mask, half Peter Parker reflection. And you see, and then he of course lifts himself out of it. So, and I really like that this movie kind of had that in terms of, you know, discovering that value of, of yourself as opposed to, you know, how, how you're stacked up against somebody else. And I think that was a great lesson for Peter to learn in this. I think that's a huge part of who he is and, and informs his character as Spider-Man in the comics. So I, I really love that they took the time to focus on that. And yeah, like see, I, I did like the Iron Spider suit. I think it's cool. Mm. I do think he's going to use it uh, because uh. I think I, I, that suit looks like it works in space. That's all I'm going to say. Like that, <laughs> when I saw that suit, like I, my first, because I didn't think he was, I, I knew I was like, okay, that's not going to be the regular Spider-Man suit. Like that's just never going to be the regular Spider-Man suit. But if he has to go into space when they're fighting Thanos in Infinity War, that looks like a space suit, a, a space Spider-Man suit to me, and I'd be fine with it in that like specific context. Just not for it's not for everyday use. It's not that kind of suit, but on yes. a very special interstellar occasion, like that's that Spider-Man suit. Um, so yeah, like I I, w- I liked you know tracking that whole arc for Peter throughout this film. I thought it was a great way to focus on it. And I thought it was a great alternative that was completely valid. And I know like the, they didn't necessarily play up the, the guilt or, you know, in the sense of responsibility that came from uncle Ben, but I think we all know that that's there and they do allude to it. You know, when he says that when he's telling Ned, like you can't tell, you know, I I can't tell May because like after everything that happened, like she can't know this. Like, so we all know that, Uncle Ben is is still on Peter Parker's mind, and that's driving a lot of this. But because that was done so much in the Raimi and uh, and Webb films over the past you know several years, like they, I understand why they didn't necessarily want to you know really lean into that, and why they went through this they went this other direction. And I think it was a great direction because it's even though yes, the Uncle Ben stuff is part of it, we already know that. Show me the stuff that I don't know. That's an important part of you know Peter Parker's journey as a character. Yeah, you you brought it up perfectly with with him underneath the rubble 
um, that was a complete geek out moment for me. I want mm-hmm. everyone to know that that's like, you know, there's there's a scene in Amazing Spider-Man 33 that's like Steve Ditko is it's like a one page like splash mm-hmm. where it's him lifting up you know the rubble, basically you know getting the you know, the final strength to you know overcome, and that was. And like you said, he played that so beautifully, Sean. Like, mm-hmm. like he's like he's crying. He sounds desperate. Yeah. And it sounded like I, it, you. I, I I almost got disturbing. Yes. Because I, I was like, uh, this is like a kid trapped. And right. Like, like I would be making those sounds now. I'd be like frantically panicking. And you know, if even if I was Spider Man, and it was like. It was just kind of. It almost like it was too real. I'm like, man, this guy's. It's not like, oh, I'm stuck. It's like, no, he's he's crying out. Yeah. Like, it's. I don't know. It was. It, 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 I'm not saying it was full on disturbing, but it was. It hit that chord in me a little well, bit where I was like, it, it I wasn't actually made expecting me, it. Well, it actually made me worried, and I'm all, and I'm pretty much never worried about the characters in these movies because right. i generally know they're going to be okay <laughs> like it's but like it's and even though this is the first spider-man solo movie like you don't he made me forget that i know that in my mind i know this guy is not going to die right now like but he made me his performance was so good that it actually made me forget about that that for a second and actually had me buy into uh the danger and buy into, you know, the suffering that he was going through, which is, which is a very difficult thing to do because I just always, I generally take for granted the, the fact that most of these characters are going to be okay. Um, maybe, maybe won't take it for granted with like the next two Avengers movies, but for right until then, like (laughs) I'm pretty much, especially in their own solo movies, like I'm not thinking that they're going to bite it. So like I'm, you know, so for him to make me think for a second and, and really believe in the danger that he was in that, that really just all comes down to Tom Holland's performance. Yeah, and I think that, like like you said too about the whole guilt thing, yeah, you know, they do a good job a, a good job of explaining the origin and, ex- and of how he becomes Spider Man and how he really becomes Spider Man with mm-hmm. the whole guilt ridden responsibility thing, and like again, like I, I referenced the party scene and and everything that he does, even the responsibility at the very end of the movie when he's like, no, I yeah. know my place is not with you guys, it's with my neighborhood and, and, and protecting the people of my people that are the little guy. And that's what Spider-Man is. He kind of operates, you know, it's funny how Tony Stark, you know, says you are, there's a little, there's a, you know, there's a little gray area and that's where you operate. That's kind of what Spider-Man's always operated from Yeah, because you could go full on fantastic inner dimension, outer space with Spider-Man, but you can also do Daredevil like street level stuff too. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man works in that. Like he is this really diverse character in my opinion because because he does he's so relatable to the everyman and he has fantastic powers that are make that makes him a, a great uh, play in, in in fantastical stories in outer space. Like, look at Secret Wars. There's a great issue where Spider-Man takes on the Herald of Galactus and beats him. I mean, like, I, and then there's a story about him taking on the kingpin of crime. And, and you know, this really, I felt, had a great rep- representation of that with with him, like, mm-hmm. accepting, like, hey, I am I am this, my responsibility is to these people who are being, who are, who are suffering in my area. I'm going to take care of them. That that's my duty. Like you guys, you guys have this, um, you know, again, their sense of responsibility is just, you know, when he leaves the party or not party, but the prom, um, you know, we're talking like he had, you know, he, you know, he had a suit taken away. Every, mm-hmm. He had every reason not to go in there, you know, and he did it. like he again, like it's it just stays true to everything you, you can say about Spider-Man. And it was done in such a. 
I want to say flawless, but any he, he was done in such a natural, smooth way that it just it's just it comes across perfect to me. So yeah, yeah. Like, well, and the well, well, and just to you know, like I'm gonna try and set up set us up a segue to talk about another performance. So like I'm gonna yeah, yeah. another highlight of Tom Holland's performance, which will set up another great performance that we're about to talk about, is the 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 twist scene. You know, the scene where. Um, you know, of course, Peter Parker goes and knocks on the door to pick up Liz for the dance. And who opens the door? Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. Vulture, played by Michael Keaton, which even though like I it had ended up being spoiled for me that like he was somebody's dad and like somebody had said that he was Michelle's dad or something. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. It sounds like he's seems like he's more like Liz's dad. And then when Peter went to knock on the door, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's definitely Michael Keaton about to answer the door. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of spoiled for me, but it, it was still an awesome moment. Like it still had a huge impact and Tom Holland's performance in that scene, uh, just like it was throughout the film was just so incredible of having the, usual thing which is a teenage boy being super nervous and scared and intimidated by the idea of meeting his girlfriend's father um or the the father of the girl he would like to be his girlfriend and then at the same time like now it's completely compounded by this idea that holy crap like this is the guy that i've been hunting this is a guy who has tried to kill me this is a guy who uh i know is like selling dangerous weapons to other criminals and, and again, ultimately be getting a lot of people killed. So like to see that Tom Holland play that, it was so incredible. And that scene, once they progress from the house to the car and after tombs learns that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, like that is one of the most tense scenes that I have ever watched in any superhero movie. I love that scene. Like, I think that that whole sequence kind of makes this movie when, in terms of like what brings it to the level of just being a really fun, cool Spider-Man movie to now being in this territory of being among, and even though I haven't sorted out where it's going to fall, like at least I know it's going to be in the discussion of the great MCU movies and great superhero mm-hmm. movies overall. It's that scene, um, that plus mm-hmm. the you know the, the come on Spider Man, get up Spider Man scene. So like that is where I just I absolutely loved it. I love the way that Keaton just turns and has the gun out. Like I, it, it all, and then the the way he carries that conversation and just moving on to Keaton's performance was so damn good as Adrian Toomes. Like the first time I saw the movie, I thought. Keaton was really great. I don't know how good of a job the script did with this character. I liked the script for the character more the second time I saw it, but I still feel like no matter what, because you have Michael Keaton, you're getting so much more out of it than you could ever put down on the page just because of the presence that he brings to it and just the power of his performance. And he does such an amazing job. And I think what was great about what I love most about uh, this version of the Vulture overall is it actually goes back to when we talked when we opened with our comparison to like Spider-Man 2 which is going to be the one that this one is this film is most often compared to in terms of which one's the the best Spider-Man film it's 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 either Homecoming or Spider-Man 2 i don't think there's really like another correct choice <laughs> like it's one of those two and i think the maybe the reason why i lean towards Homecoming is i don't necessarily like how sympathetic doc ock is in spider-man 2 that never really rang all that true to me what i like about vulture is that i don't necessarily find him sympathetic um but it's more so like he's still he's still bad he's still completely doing the wrong thing what he's doing is criminal what he's doing is hurting people 
but I still like that internally he does have, even though he's very, very clearly a villain, I always kind of like it when a villain has a code um, of like, yes, because that when you think of like in a villain's mind, why do they feel like they're still the hero? Why do they still feel like they're the good guy? It has to be because there's some moral line that they believe in that they know they haven't crossed. And that's what makes what they're doing. Okay. And that's what they're putting in, like in terms of the ethical decision, they're putting that in front of everything else, all the other wrong choices that they're making. And that's how they're justifying it. And that's what tombs is doing. And he's consistent with that. The whole reason that he's doing, and this is where the script does a good job, and and Michael Keaton does a great job, of course, of selling it, is that I love that the way this character is built to have his priority be family. So he's Dominic Toretto, sort of, but a way better version of it. So, like, I love that he is, like, his family is what he values above all. That's why he's doing what he's doing. That's why he's committing all these crimes. He sees this is the way to support his family. And the reason he doesn't kill Peter Parker right there in the back of his car is because he know because he owes Spider-Man because based on his honor code, family's the most important thing. And Spider-Man saved his daughter, which was, by the way, a great action scene in the Washington Monument in Washington, uh, D.C. Spider-Man saved his daughter, Liz. So that means he owes Spider-Man and he even flat out says, like, I owe you one. So this is your one chance to forget all about this. Just get out of the car, show my daughter a good time, and pretend all of this never happened. You don't know who I am and whatever else. And then, like, of course, Spider-Man can't let it lie, and then we, you know, we proceed to a battle. But then even at the end, in the mid-credits scene, like, he owes Spider-Man again because Spider-Man saved his life. So when Matt Gargan comes up, who, by the way, is Scorpion, if you didn't notice the tattoo on the neck, like, he <laughs> is. <laughs> just in case you missed that little, case, little thing. I, look, most people were not going to get the name Matt Gargan, so, like, you needed to uh, kind of have that. Uh, but anyway... Um, what I liked is that, you know, that guy's like, well, why don't you tell us who Spider-Man is? And he just says, if I, if I knew who he was, he'd be dead already. And I, I think that serves two functions. One, I think, is, again, he owes Peter for saving his life. I also just think that, there, that uh, Toombs understands there's a lot of value in information. And the identity of Spider-Man might be something worth holding on to and cashing in at another time. And maybe not necessarily just at the first guy who asks him who Spider-Man is. So I loved, I loved all, about, all of that. I think Keaton just Keaton showed exactly why it was so important to have him in this film. Why it was so important to have him come in and play the Vulture. Because I, I know there are a lot of other great actors out there. And there are a lot of other actors who probably could have done something really, really great with this character. But I don't know that there's anybody else who could have brought the presence and the energy to it uh, that Keaton did that made it all work. Because I talked, you know, again, that just to try and wrap this up so I can let Paul talk again after lecturing on Vulture for so long. It's all good, bro. No, the last thing that I just want to, you know, add to is what makes Vulture work is like he deep down, like he sees himself as an everyman and as a little guy. And like, we've seen Michael Keaton as that guy so many times over the course of his career. Um, you know, like even, even all the way back to like Mr. Mom, like we've seen this from Michael Keaton (laughs) and like him fighting for the little guy. You, even though you know, he's wrong, you understand why he's, you know, you understand why he's doing it. So again, that, that doesn't translate to sympathy, but at least it makes this a real human being that Spider-Man is fighting. And that's actually what makes him scarier is to have a guy who, it, it, who totally believes that he's right and actually has some moral code that he's a, that he's abiding by. And even with that, he's doing all these terrible things. So everything you said was, was, is accurate. You're not wrong. And I, I'm going to go ahead and say that 
Michael Keaton's Vulture is one of the best MCU villains. And not because there's not a lot of good MCU villains. Stop that bullshit. Like, don't even give me that. Like, no. Michael Keaton is one of the best performances. Yep. And I think, honestly, like, I think he's just one of the most intriguing characters, Mm -hmm. villains in the MCU, period. And if you would have told me that uh, five years ago that the Vulture would be one of the most interesting MCU villains, I would have laughed in your face because Vulture in the comics is one of the biggest jokes ever. And yeah. a lot of people who listen to the show will know that I'm not a fan of that, that comic book, Old Man Vulture. Now, what they did in, in you know, this homecoming, was update, update the costume, made him look incredible. I think he is, he is. No, it looks by, great. Yeah. It looks fantastic. It looks, and they, they, we're talking made it from a zero to literally a 10. I think it's one of the best designs in MCU as well. So you've got a great, I think a great character, mm-hmm. um, great character design. You have a great actor playing him. Like all those things rolled into one, just, it makes it just perfect. And I think that that's where he's on Loki level for me. He really is. Like I, when I watched it the first time, I'm like, I loved, I loved Michael Keaton. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, it goes without, without saying, right. Yeah. I mean, he's a phenomenal actor, you know, but, but, when I watched it again, it solidified. I'm like, no, no. When I think about the best Marvel villains, and, and like, you know, I'd put Bucky up there because Bucky was a villain in, in Winter Soldier. So I'd say Loki, Bucky, and the Vulture. I mean, I'm trying to think of other people. I'm like, eh, other villains are fine, but like, he's definitely one of the most intriguing. Like, I like that. Like you said, he wasn't sympathetic in a sense, but he's just trying to make a living. And he'll do whatever it takes to make a living and to keep his glass house. And I won't take credit. I heard this on a podcast, I think, today. As someone had said that um, – I think I think I was listening to the MCU Exchange. Uh, they had said that – you know, it's funny that the Vulture is this guy that is in a glass house, his beautiful house he's trying to keep. And yeah. he also complains that, like – all, you know, he's we're the we're the little guy, Peter, but he's not. Yeah. He's a big. He's 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 rich. You know, and he's a he's actually a well-off person. He wants to keep it that way, mm-hmm. but he wants to play the victim. And like you say, he's got a code at the same time. Yeah, like he didn't mean to kill the original Shocker. Like when he, when he yeah, I, I laughed out loud. That was the anti-gravity gun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> he was like, oh, and, and it almost. I don't know if this was purposeful. Maybe I just wasn't being observant. And you can maybe tell me if I am. Or, or not, but what I almost think that like he had never killed anyone up until then. It doesn't seem was, like it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really yeah. doesn't. So then when he does it, it's like, okay, that wasn't as bad as maybe I thought it might be. That's yeah. the kind of idea that I got. So you kind of see his progression of being, mm-hmm. instead of being like, he's a little more vicious, I feel, as he goes, instead of like, he's just always vicious. I mean, because to be honest, I think he had every reason to punch that guy in the very beginning of the, of the movie. Like, yeah. you know, he has this huge, I'm sorry, like, I know assault is wrong, but when you're, you're, you know, you do, you know, you do all this stuff to, to, you know, have all these people you're providing for, what I mean, like your people, you work for you, you buy all these trucks, you know, to do all this, this job, this contract, yeah. and someone comes in and just belittles you right in front of you and like, whatever. I mean, like, I'm sorry, like that's, you're asking for it at that point. So I didn't blame him. So when that happened, you saw, you saw that he's, he's, he's ready to, you know, he's able to stand up for himself in any situation, but I think it was a great progression of showing that he does have that rage of provoked. 
And when they provoke him the second time, when like he, when the when the next guy, his own, and this is what I think justifies, you know, not, not justifies, but in his head justifies lethal force that he didn't mean to kill him. But when any, when the, the guy's like, you can't afford my to keep me silent. Like again, once he breaks that code, he's like, that's it. You're done. Like I can't. Like no, you've. I'm going to hurt you extensively because you mm-hmm. want to blackmail me and you end up killing him. And it's like, okay, I didn't mean to do that, but that's all right. So I don't know. It was a great progression of the character and Keaton pulled it off. Like, I mean, like and you, had, I think you had told me you thought that it was maybe underwritten. Would you still say that now? Um, probably not. Like, I, I do think he could have, I still wish he had like at least one more scene. Um, but maybe that's just because the performance is so good. Cause I do think that a lot of like the arc for that character, as well as just the, you know, the, the philosophy of that character, that's, that is in the script. That's not just Keaton creating that. Although I do think he brought a lot of that to the table and helped kind of shape the script as they were shooting. Cause that based on like the interviews and stuff that both Keaton and John Watts have said. So I think, I think a lot of that idea like came from Keaton and then kind of like so i think he helped guide the script i don't know obviously i don't have access to what the script was before they went off and started shooting but you know it seems like that's something that there was a foundation for it and then keaton just really helped you know build upon that and build upon that and make this uh, a richer deeper character and and you're right in that there is the there there is the hypocrisy to the character of it's like well i mean you've got a pretty nice house like <laughs> it's not like mm-hmm. you know you're not struggling anymore but like he's but that's kind of the thing where he still sees himself as the in in his mind he's still that guy who got screwed over by Tony Stark and you know and damage control after uh, after the battle of New York like he still sees himself as that guy because that guy was not going to live in that house that guy was going to be like just completely broke lose his business lose whatever i mean he probably didn't own that house at that time anyway so like he was probably you know that guy was going to be just you know tombs was going to be done at that point in time just like when he punched the guy it's like well, the guy was kicking him while he was down. Like he just totally got screwed over, and that's why, like the people from, that's why the damage control didn't have him arrested. It's like, no, that guy made a stupid comment kicking a guy while he was down. He got punched in the face for it. Like he kind of had that coming. Um, like I think you kind of felt for, but I think that's an interesting thing to, to kind of kind of play with an audience. Like you don't feel, at least I, I don't feel like Tombs is, even though yes, as you said, like. Assault and battery, wrong, shouldn't do it, yes, of course, blah, yes, blah, blah. Exactly. <laughs> but sometimes somebody mouths off at the exact wrong moment to mouth off, and they, you know, they, they disrespect someone else, and they get punched in the mouth for it. And you don't necessarily feel like the person who punched him in the mouth was wrong in that moment. Um, but, yes. and, and I think that's the cool thing to kind of play with with Tombs as a villain, is that the first time you see him act out violently, you actually kind of root for him you actually think yeah that was fine you know not the best move but the fine for him to do it but then you but then like slowly but surely like you you lose that for him and it's like okay no now he's just wrong and i think that's a cool thing to kind of a cool progression to take that character through and to take the audience uh, along with them uh, as they're you know as they're tracking the movements of this character to see that yeah like this is this has gone way beyond supporting your family like this is gone like you're now you're now kind of living the life out in the suburbs in this massive house, which you're you know, and the way you're doing that is by continuing to sell weapons that are hurting people. And that's the contradiction. And that's what makes Michael Keaton. That's what makes Tombs such a villain is that 
yes, it is a good thing to protect your family and provide for your family. But what he is also doing is putting a lot of other families at risk by selling weapon by selling really, really dangerous weapons to criminals who intend to use them to hurt people. And I think that's the that's where you see like that. That's where his logic falls apart. And that's where it's not just the it's not just the house he lives in. It's also just the you know, his even his own code of family being the most important thing. Well, he's only counting his family and no one else's, which if you're really valuing family, then you have to see beyond your own. And that's yeah, why he's I, a bad dude. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and I'll, I'll close with, with my thoughts with, with Vulture, just with, you know, I thought the reveal of Liz Allen as, as you know, as his daughter was. Or Liz Toombs. I don't think they ever call her. I don't think they ever use the name Allen. Yeah, I, I guess they, they we did. Assu- I don't, I want, we they, assume they did Alan. it first, didn't they? I don't remember. I don't know if they ever called her Alan. I have to. They just call her Liz. They probably they, just call, they her, call Liz. her Liz. We Liz and Alan. we all assume Alan because that was you know an early love interest for Peter in the comic book. So we, I think we gave her the name Alan. I don't know if the movie actually does. Yeah, but I think it was so perfect because I I avoided spoilers for the stuff as much as possible because again I always say. I know this stuff too well to to you know to get spoiled. I want to get some surprises, right? Yeah. But that was 100% a surprise and a welcome one because again, you gave Tombs motivation instead of being like my partner stole my engineering, you know, blah 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 blah. <laughs> you know, it's just like oh my god, you know. But no, this is perfect. Like this was so perfect, and you kind of you almost take it, you know, an aspect of the Green Goblin. And and, and and twist it around that I've never I've never read a Spider-Man story besides you know some early stuff with Green Goblin where you know he's he has a villain has a tie to a, to one of his early childhood friends mm-hmm. and much less a girlfriend so it was I mean I, I don't read the Ultimate line at least from the the stuff before Miles Morales so I don't know the the Brian Bendis Remicide stuff we did a long time ago for the show. Um, so maybe they did that, you know, at some point in in that run. But I didn't, I hadn't seen that yet, and or even thought about that. And that was so genius, I felt. And again, this is the best iteration of the Vulture ever. And I really hope they retcon this and do something with this in uh, the Marvel comic books proper. So yeah, I, I love. I was literally my mouth dropped. In fact, I was sitting with Justin when we saw it the first time. Uh, Justin Bulger, our friend, a mutual friend here, and our mouths both dropped. Like, literally, they dropped. And I was just in shock. So, and I, I, I was totally surprised. And it sounds like you weren't surprised. No. So, but, which sucks. But, I mean, because you, you were spoiled on well, it. I had, I, well, would I you have been surprised? I wasn't totally, well, I wasn't, I actually wasn't accurately spoiled. I had read a different spoiler. It was, a, it was incorrect in terms of what was going on with Adrian Toomes, but... Like, so I I can't say that, like, I absolutely knew what was going to happen, but, like, I just had that feeling, like, as Peter was going up to the door, I was just like, I think Michael Keaton's going to answer. And sure enough, he did. Because I was like, because it was all adding up in my head, like, this guy's been, like, you know, like, the villain being all about family, and then just the fact that I was like, well, we haven't seen... Liz's dad and I was also just feeling like the movie kind of needs a turn here like something has to like ratchet this up real quick because it can't just be like we can't just like stay like with mopey Peter like we have to like (laughs) we have to get the tension going back into this story now and like I was like so like it was so part of it was like because the spoiler that I had read was and it was you know like and it wasn't something I sought out but because like I cover this stuff and you know track Mm -hmm. news and everything like 
it's just kind of a, a hazard of the trade that sometimes you end up coming across stuff that you don't want to come across. But what I had come across was that was that Toombs was Michelle's father, MJ's father, which and as the movie was going on, I was like, that's weird because like we're not spending a lot of time with MJ. So like I don't know that that's going to make sense. But then when Peter went to pick up when Peter was going to pick up Liz, I was like, it's going to have to be that he's Liz's dad because that's the only thing that makes sense right now. And then like, sure enough, like, you know, Michael Keaton answers the door. So even though I wasn't spoiled accurately, it was still enough to kind of give me a clue that just plus where the movie was at. I just kind of felt like that was something that where because it was like it wasn't even so much like I definitely thought that he was going to open the door. But I was like, if Michael Keaton would open the door right now, that would kind of make a lot of sense. (laughs) And Like it did. I was like, okay, but it's still like even though I wasn't shocked by it, I was still like, it still had a big impact on me because it was still, because again, the performances were so strong and the look on Tom Holland's face, as soon as he sees tombs, like that is where, that's what sold it for me. So like, it wasn't even, it wasn't even about, Oh, I'm so shocked by this. It was just more of the, the moment still had a, a massive impact. And then just watching the scene unfold. I mean, cause the surprise to me is, is secondary anyway to how how incredibly well the scene unfolds from the time that they're at the house. I mean, I love it. He offers him a bourbon. And then when he says, no, he says the right answer, but he's pointing a knife at him when he says it, which I mean, at that point, Toombs doesn't even know that Peter is Spider-Man, but he's just being like, you know, the intimidating dad guy. Um, but I even love, he says, come on. I'm like, let's go Pedro. Like, I just love how casual <laughs> Toombs is being with him. Cause he has no idea. And then when you see like the wheels turning in his head, as he's hearing Liz and Peter talk and he's slowly, putting together like Peter's whereabouts and where he was and where he wasn't um, at these times that he knows Spider-Man showed up. Like I just really, I love seeing all of that. And it was just a terrific scene. And again, that that's from two actors, both Holland and Keaton doing uh, an extraordinary job. And, and even though the, those two guys were definitely the highlights, there were a lot of great performance in this film. Another one that I want to make sure we spend some time on is Robert Downey Jr. As Tony Stark slash Iron Man. Like I, I thought he did a, he always does a great job. So at this point, it's like, you know, it's easy to take for granted that Robert Downey Jr. is going to come in and, and do a great job as Tony Stark. But what I, I think one of the, the greatest strengths that I think Downey will ultimately be remembered for as this character, even though he's not done, like there's still movies to go. But like eventually when he's done playing Iron Man, I think when people really look back on it, if you really go back and like watch his performances, like you see this character progress and it's not a straight line. Cause like sometimes he moves forward and then takes a step back and then forward and then a step to the side. Like it's not, it's not completely linear, but at the same time, like he does have like you see, you do see overall like a big progression for this character. I, I was almost reminded of kind of Iron Man three, because that was the only other time we've really seen him interact with a kid for any length of time with uh, Harley and Iron Man three. And he kind of reject, even though he ultimately does like nice stuff for, for the kid, he really kind of pushes him away more and just kind of rejects that idea of being any type of being confused for any type of father figure with this kid. But you see him kind of reluctantly, embracing that role in Spider-Man Homecoming when he gives him that, that lecture after the ferry boat scene, when he even says like, God, I sound like my dad. Um, but he's saying, but you see Tony like taking the Tony's observing the the responsibility when he says, you know, like Peter, if somebody had died, that would be on you. But if you, you know, like, but if you die and ultimately that would be on Tony too, but it's like, but if you die, that's on me. 
Um, and you yeah. see Tony like actually saying like Tony's aware of his own responsibility. And I love that line because people were for the people who were critical of it in Civil War of why did Tony Stark recruit this kid? Does he not know like what? You know, does he not know the problems that come with it? No, he knows the problems that come with it. But he also knew in Civil War is a different scenario. Like he also says, like, trust me, kid, if Cap wanted to kick your ass, like he would have, you know, like it, mm-hmm. if, or Cap wanted to lay you out, he would have. And so he knew that, like, Peter would be kind of safe fighting amongst other heroes. But the situation with the Vulture is completely different. And that's why he tries to steer Peter away from it, because Tony does feel that he does feel a a huge sense of responsibility with Peter. And I think Downey does a great job with that. And the bigger thing that I would just throw out there um, is that what I think this movie, another big success of this movie was that even though Iron Man had an, and Tony Stark had an important role to play, that was all about building Peter's arc and Peter's ultimate de- and Peter's decisions throughout the film, including the, the one that you highlighted at the very end. So that's where Tony Stark was truly a supporting character who served this bigger story and served Peter Parker. And that's why for anybody or for all the concern and everybody talking and saying, oh, is this going to be an Iron Man movie with Spider-Man or is it going to be a Spider-Man and Iron Man movie? No. In my mind, this is very clearly, there's not even really room for debate, although some people may try. There's really not room for a reasonable argument that this is anything but a Spider-Man movie, first and foremost, in which Iron Man just so happens to be a supporting character. This is there is no question they walk that line very effectively of making sure that this never stopped being Spider-Man's movie. Yeah, I. It's funny. I, I've read a lot of no, not a lot. I've read some people, old school Spider-Man fans, criticizing this movie that you know the, again Spider-Man being dependent on Tony Stark um, is not really truly Spider-Man. You know, I. I haven't. I, it was hard for me at first to kind of get behind that, but at the same time, it I've kind of accepted it in this but MCU. Whole, re- but the whole point of the movie is him not depending on Tony Stark. Like, it, no, exactly. That, right, right. We, no, the movie covers that. Well, right, and and that's the thing is like in this, and I guess is having the father figure. You know, yeah. Spider-Man. You know, was never really had a father figure growing up in, in the comics. So I think that's where a lot of this is coming from. People don't like that he has one. So it's almost like they're either replacing Uncle Ben. So it's like he could ease that guilt thing, which I don't agree with. And the thing is, I, the reason I don't agree with it is because the damage has been done with Spider-Man already. That you know, the Tony Stark, even in the comic books with Civil War, the you know, the actual comic book series, it was a great thing to have the men mentorship against two men instead of you know one really young man and you know an older person for like that father figure if you will um it was it was still the kind of the same thing and i like that aspect of it too so with when you bring in the actual real spider-man suit um it may it only makes sense in the mcu world that there's no way a kid's gonna make a cool looking spider-man costume it doesn't make any sense i mean look at back look at the mark webb thing when he really wanted he wanted to make a spider-man costume that looked like a kid could make a Spider-Man costume, but, you know, within reason, of course. Um, and I thought that was cool, but to be honest, I prefer, this is my favorite Spider-Man costume ever, even with the stupid little random things or, you know, lines in it, in it you know, that make it like a quote-unquote different costume. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but, but but here's the thing, and, I, and you saw my tweet the other day, this is, whenever I, I look at this costume, I only, you know, the the essence of it. I only see John Romita, uh, not Junior, Senior, 
his drawing. And he's my favorite probably per artist to ever draw Spider-Man. It's like but it's literally like he came right off the page with little lines on his costume or, you know, randomly, but, um, but it's, it looks incredible. And so there's no way a kid's going to make that suit. I mean, you can get into the Karen aspects, which I loved and, and say, you know, you don't, you don't need that, whatever, you know, whatever. But again, you just, it's, it's in this, in this MCU world, it only makes sense. And that's where I'm going to say this, you know, where, a lot of people are going to complain. A lot of Spider-Man purists, excuse me, are going to complain that this is not Spider-Man or whatever. But you know, I want. I hope they remember that this is not necessarily for them. This mm-hmm. is for a younger generation. That you know, Spider-Man is timeless, and it's time for a new generation to share and to love Spider-Man. Right. And you know what? These people that again love that need to love are going to love Spider-Man. They love Iron Man first, whereas a lot of people like them, the, the Spider-Man purists, Spider-Man was the first, you know? Spider-Man was out there before Iron Man was, technically. Yeah. But at the same time, Iron Man is is now the gateway drug to so many kids. And Spider-Man is such an amazing character, no pun intended, that of course you want to incorporate these two characters together because they're a match made in heaven. And I think that's one thing that took a lot – of time, and you know, Sean, I argued with you a ton about it, but it doesn't it doesn't really make sense to me. I don't like that necessarily. But again, this is not meant for me. I know the character. I get mm-hmm. the basic essence of the character. This is meant for the kids who grew up loving Iron Man, and they're getting this amazing, timeless, in my opinion, the best superhero ever created. They're going to get a new iteration of them, and who cares if there's certain things that are borrowed. In the MCU universe, it only makes sense to me that Iron Man helps him. They use he uses similar things, but in the end he's so different. And that's what I love about this movie. At the very end, he makes this this decision, excuse me, the decision that Tony probably couldn't couldn't ever. You know, I mean, even at the end of Iron Man One when he said, you know, he, he turns down, you know, or he doesn't even turn it down necessarily. He goes back and, and does, you know, I guess he does turn down the Avengers initiative. But at the same time, it's like there's a pride. There's a pride there for Tony. I feel mm-hmm. that he does for. Whereas Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't. Un, he does a very unselfish thing, and that's the thing. Is like Peter's not selfish. He's not selfish enough. I feel, in the you know, as a character. That's why he always struggles with balance in his life. And that's what this movie did a great job of. That's the same thing this this, this Spider-Man does. And I don't think Tony Stark helping him and giving him a suit take away from that at all. So. It's it really bothers me when I see these old school pure Spider-Man fans dog on the Tony Stark aspect. I want to be like, listen, man, like your this is not your Spider-Man, and it's not supposed to be your Spider-Man. Accept that and know the core is still there. And if you and if you don't see the core, then you're just being blind and, and you want to spew venom again, no pun intended, at this movie <laughs> because you just want to hate on it because it's not. 1960s Steve Ditko, Stanley Spider-Man, right off the page with him wearing a sweater vest and a tie. So you know, get over, get over that, and just know that, in my opinion, that the character is there. Oh, I think yeah, the character is definitely there, and and I think that's where these movies have to strike a balance because they're they. There's just no way I'm going to buy an argument that this is unfaithful because, by the way, some of this Spider-Man stuff and like Stark Tech in the Spider-Man suit, like there's some of that kind of stuff in the Ultimate Comics, and there's and even the idea of Peter Parker kind of looking up to Iron Man and also Captain America, like that is also part of the Ultimate Spider-Man, which this like which is taken from this. Like other people spotted, I didn't spot it, but then I've seen like 
the Easter eggs from that other people have spotted, like, uh, cause Mark Bagley, like his name is in the graffiti, like Bagley is in the name and like the graffiti and like the background in one of the shots because he was the artist, you know, for Bendis's big run on ultimate Spider-Man. So like, like obviously it's taking cues from there as well. Uh, Tom Holland, I was listening to an interview he did with uh, Chris Hardwick on the Nerdist podcast, like before, you know, you were, we were both listening to like Marvel related podcasts today. So like, and he was talking about the ultimate comics being a big you know influence on his performance. Like there's been a lot of stuff with Spider-Man and, and like, you know, just like there have been for a lot of the characters who've been around for decades and been in thousands and thousands of stories that, you know, certain things are going to change and they, these characters evolve. And, and that's also going to happen as these characters come into the, the MCU because the MCU also has its own canon, its own history. And there are certain things that are just going to make sense. Like if you were, you know, if, if you're Peter Parker, who's 15 years old in 2000, like set in 2017, when this movie's taking place, then you know, subtract nine years. He was six years old when Tony Stark just said, I am Iron Man to the world in 2008. So like when you look at that, like the impression that that would make uh, on a kid, like, yeah, he would grow up looking up to Tony Stark and there would be like that would be a natural part of this kid's story. So I don't think you should, uh, you know, deny the opportunities that exist because he's in the MCU just for the sake of this isn't the way that it went down in the comics. Like that's not, that's not a good enough argument. Like these things are, are because, and it's only going to be, and this is something that people will just kind of have to get used to as it, as it goes on and they'll either, I guess, like it or they won't. But the farther we get into the MCU and it's Canon, the more, the more we're going to have to see that blending of what happened originally in the comics with, what's going to happen in the MCU, but it's always kind of been that way. Not everything that's happened in the MCU, a lot of things that have happened in the MCU didn't progress the same way that they did in the comics. So like, there's just certain things where you have to kind of, you know, well, I mean, it's up, it's up to every fan. Like if you want to make yourself miserable, then you can just say like, everything has to be exactly like it was in the comic or I'm, or I'm not going to like it, in which case you're not really going to like any superhero movie. Uh, But if you're, you know, if you have a little bit of an open mind, and my approach to these things has always been, it, it comes down to the spirit of the character, like the the core essence of the character, and I think that is still one hundred percent present uh, in this movie. And even all the, you know, not only does he reject the the suit, the you know, the fancy iron spider suit at the end, even like little things about the, even like the enhancements once the training wheels protocol is disabled, <laughs> like once he like does some of that stuff, like he, I, I like that even some of that he rejects, you know, like exactly interrogation mode doesn't work out, he doesn't want instant kill. You know, like all these web combinations, like I don't need 500 yep. web combinations, like I just want this, like just go back to what it was, just go back to normal. Like, I, I still like that there is. Even though, yeah, he in the end of the movie, he still ends up with the Tony Stark enhanced suit, not the Iron Spider one, but the the one that he's wearing for most of the film. He's still not going to necessarily use all that because that's not him. Like, there's still going to be a certain amount of that that he's just going to use what he's kind of comfortable with. And then, and I and I'm sure as Peter evolves, like we we literally see him and his buddy Ned, and we're going to talk about Ned in a second. Like, we see them already tinkering with the suit. So I, I would imagine that every time we see we catch up with Spider-Man, especially in these solo films, like he's going to start making these adjustments and making it more of his own as opposed to just wearing this suit that Tony made. And so I, I still love all of that progression for it. And, and, and even with the suit, and even though Tony Stark made it and it has Tony Stark enhancements and this and, and, and blah, 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 
he still made an effective suit and he still made his own he still has a homemade suit that he uses in the film and that he ultimately uses to take down the vulture so spider-man is still 100 percent there uh and that's you know again thanks to tom holland and then the other thing i i want to make sure before we i know we're you know, well over an hour into the show, but there's a few things I, I want to make sure we spend at least a few minutes talking about. For like, sure, for sure. Jacob Batalon as Ned is so damn good in this movie. Like when you know we talk about like the high school feel of this one, like really feeling like high school. It's not just about Tom Holland; it's about that whole ensemble of actors that they have playing these high school kids. Ned is so awesome, and I love that through Ned, they've also kind of and also like the, just the set decoration, in Peter's bedroom. They've kind of retconned a, that line in Civil War where he says that old, old movie, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> like, because Peter seems to have like much more awareness and reverence for Star Wars in this one than he did in Civil War, which, yes. uh, which, you know, you would think that he probably would. So, which doesn't mean the Civil War joke no longer makes sense because you could still say Empire Strikes Back, but maybe the emphasis on how old the movie is isn't necessarily what Peter would lead with. But anyway, I'm happy, I'm happy that they did that. But just, Everything about I, I thought he had some of the funniest lines in there. I I know the one that like he'll just always be remembered for is when he gets caught being the guy in the chair in the computer lab at during the homecoming dance, and he says he was watching porn, which it was just hilarious. Like I was just dying laughing during that. But a lot of stuff yeah. with Ned was just oh so funny. Yeah, I I really liked um, the the Ned slash uh, Ganky Donkey yeah. yeah Ganky character um, and it's it's interesting that they couldn't just call him Ganky they had to call him Ned Leeds which is really weird Ned Leeds is like a reporter that marries Brady Brandt in the comic yeah. books and it's 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 weird like it, why can't just call him Ganky like and, and even in the comic books he um, maybe you know, so and, Miles he, Morales can still have a buddy named Ganky, Ganky I guess yeah. Because you know, we just, know we know, you know. Miles exists because Donald Glover plays Aaron Davis and he refers to his nephew Aaron Davis, who's the Prowler in the comics, and like yeah. refers to his nephew yeah. who is Miles Morales. Yeah. yeah, in the comic, yeah, in the Ultimate Comics, that's Aaron Davis is yeah. is uh, a Hobby 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 Brown, I think, is is the Prowler in the yeah, yeah, six sixteen. Yeah. I'm not sure which one they're. It's kind of confusing now what they're doing because now Miles Morales is part of the regular universe. Correct. But it's funny because Ganky tells this girl recently, a couple months ago, and recently in the comic books, that his code name is Ned. Huh. Uh, yeah. So it's. That's probably the comic writers making fun of the fact that like that character was just like taken and renamed Ned for the movie. No, it, it totally is. Comics will, it's been the too. comics will totally take, Oh yeah. will totally take shots bent. at that. Yeah. So it was, I, I, I love the character. I, I feel, I feel that again, a lot of people criticize the idea of having a best friend Spider-Man character on a side, not necessarily a Harry Osborn. But again, I, I don't mind it. I think that again, you're, you're, this is a different age. You need to have different kind of settings for Peter yeah. and having his best friend, I think works, you know, in this instance. So, you know, well, I don't you can't, really think, yeah, well, you can't have it both ways in your argument. You can't say, yeah. well, why should they, why should they make more of these Spider-Man movies when they've already been over, you know, when they've already been over everything. And then when they make more be like, well, why didn't you do the thing you already did? Like we've covered a lot of the Harry Osborn ground. Like we can still get there again in the MCU, but like we we've earned a break from it. No, totally. And I think that you know he was great. Um, he was a good. He was a good, it was a good comic relief, but also I felt like. I like the way he challenged Peter yes. in a lot of ways, and I, I think that that was nice. So I feel like he was a great balance 
with that character. Um, because he you know, didn't just agree with Peter. Like when, it, mm-hmm. you know, like when, uh, you know, Peter kind of has to manipulate him with the whole guy in the chair, like pep talk, like when he doesn't want to disable the training wheels protocol, but also when, you know, Peter's just like moaning in the, in the hotel room of just being like, well, why, you know, why does he treat me like a kid? He's like, well, you are a kid. So like, I like that Ned just totally, like he he's fanboying out and having a lot of fun with this stuff with with this stuff, but at the same time he's also very kind of aware in a way that that Peter Ness may not be all the time. Like I liked it in some ways. Like in a lot of places in the movie, like he gets to be a voice of reason, and that he also gets to have like just a little bit of a, an action moment helping out with the uh, shocker number two. Right, right, and so uh, you know I think the supporting cast was was pretty damn yeah pretty damn fun. To be quite honest, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, Zendaya had got the biggest laugh out of me in the whole movie, though. The biggest, her doing like the little smile wave followed by the middle finger to Peter Parker oh as God, he's going. That to was dance. funny. I like, I, I lost it. I completely lost. But also the, uh, her like doing the sketches in detention of people like in moments of crisis and like Hannibal Burris is the PE coach. Like she has that sketch of him and just says, "Who am I?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I also oh, man. love when she tells um, was it oh, what's his name the guy from Freaks and Geeks the teacher yeah when he's like oh. he's like I want to do some light protesting that protesting is good it's very patriotic yeah <laughs> yeah but then also the uh, the moment out in front of the Washington Monument she's like oh, I just don't feel comfortable going in a building built by slaves and then of course yeah. he's like oh I'm sure that's not that he looks at the security guard the security guard's like yeah <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I I thought Zendaya was she was fantastic in the movie. Um, I the only thing that that annoys me about it, like we already had the discussion of her playing MJ back when that rumor first w- came out, you know, well over a year ago. Like we we talked about it then. I have no problem whatsoever with her playing MJ, and anybody who does, I just think they're off base for any one or or more of any number of reasons. But like with Zendaya playing that playing MJ, like I was totally cool with that. The only thing that I didn't necessarily love was this idea of. Let's play it like this isn't this isn't what's happening, even though we all know that this is what's happening. Um, so, like, by the time she says, you know, oh, my friends call me MJ at the end of the movie, I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, no shit. But like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't have the impact that, like, I, I knew that it was never, at least for me and maybe for other people it, it did. But for me, like, I knew it was just never going to have the impact, like, for them to do a little reveal like that at the end of the movie. It was never going to have that kind of impact for me because, like, we this was just what we all assumed to be the case. It would have been a bigger surprise for me if we had gone through the entire movie and she was not MJ. Yeah, I I mean... It's not. I mean, it's a different version of "quote unquote" MJ. Well, yeah, I never it, call it, it abbreviates like something different. So yeah, she's Michelle Jones, not Mary Jane Watson. But yeah, I I think that, I mean, but I think it's I think she is meant to be the MJ of this universe. I I don't think no, there no, is going to be a Mary Jane Watson. No, I agree. I think they're they're getting away from that, which is fine. I'm not. Yeah. Doesn't you know? It's here's the thing. Is Spider Man going to end up with marrying you know MJ? Probably not. You know, I mean, if anything, they might even kill her off. Who knows? I mean, I I don't think so. But I mean, you just never know with this stuff. So yeah, I don't. Mary Jane will always be Mary Jane Watson. I never I, I call her MJ every once in a while, but it's always been Mary Jane. I've never I've never yeah. called her MJ. So the fact they're going with a different love interest, but they're kind of being homage yeah. to Mary Jane, the MJ thing, which is fine because MJ never was the character that Michelle is. Mich- you know. 
true. she wasn't in, in smart, like, you know, the smart classes and trying to be rebellious. Mary Jane was a socialite, was a fun personality that, like, pretty much got along with everybody, was pop, was beautiful. He knew, kind of, she knew she was beautiful, but she also was, like, didn't care either. She was very, very much a free spirit. So... That's not Zendaya's MJ character in this movie. Not saying that you can't turn into that, right. but I'm just saying that in this movie they go out of their way to pretty much do the exact opposite. Like she's the she's the introverted recluse, you know, beautiful girl who's just you know not really showing off that she's this beautiful person. She wants to be rebellious, etc. Yeah, you know. Whatever. I mean, like it's it's a different. It's almost like the polar opposite of Mary Jane, which is Michelle Jones. So, which is cool. I mean, like in that aspect, it's kind of cool to, to kind of look at those things on the same side of you know on a different coin, you know, or same coin, different sides. So, yeah, I I'm I'm totally fine with it. I'm not like to careful live through that Mary Jane, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not that. Like, it's I, I've got Mary Jane in the well, not a very good Mary Jane. I got Mary Jane in the first films. Yeah. I got I'm okay, Gwen Stacy. I, I'm cool with something new. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I just because that was gonna be I that would have just been a recipe for trouble. Of like, okay, let's go through the exact same progression of of people that we went through in in the previous films. Like, I, there was no need to do that. They even kind of fast, although. You know, Betty Brant was also a love in, like, actually, that was Peter's first girlfriend in the comics, was Betty Brant. And so she's mm-hmm. there at Midtown High. So there's. AKA Gwen Stacy. Yeah, she looks yeah, she looks very much like Gwen Stacy. She's a brunette, uh, damn it. She's not blonde. She's a brunette. I know. But uh I think but Andrew Rice is, is awesome. I actually wish they had given her character a little bit more just because she was outrageously funny in the nice guys last year. So that's a character that I actually hope gets brought back and gets uh a little I'm bit sure more emphasis in the next one because you know, if Liz is off in Oregon, not really factoring into uh, the the story of the second film, obviously, you know, we'll see more of of MJ. But I would love to also see Betty Brant uh, jump into there as as well. And I actually loved that little update. Like I know J. Jonah Jameson is out there somewhere, and we'll figure out who and what he is in this universe at some other point. But I also love getting Betty Brant involved in in like just that idea of like within like the high school news, which was totally done as what I would imagine like a modern high school news. Of yes. course, it's all digital, and like it, it just makes it, it just made it just rang very very true to me. It just made a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, like I mean, overall the supporting cast with with these kids, I thought they did such a, a great job of helping contribute to that you know, John Hughes-esque kind of high school feel to this. Um, and then the uh, the other supporting character that I want to talk about is Marissa Tomei as, as Aunt May in this movie. Like, I, that is one character that after two viewings, I definitely feel like she deserved a little bit more. Um, yeah. Especially because, like, she, she actually described a scene uh, in an interview that I can't remember who it was with, but uh, she described a scene in an interview today where she talked about... Um, a scene that got cut. There was a scene where she actually as just as aunt may like ordinary citizen, like actually saves like a little girl. And then she goes back to the apartment. It's like, Oh, what'd you do today? Peter, what'd you do? And like, neither one of them really kind of talks about like the, obviously Peter saved the day doing something as Spider-Man, but, and aunt may was a hero in her own way. I kind of wish that scene had been kept. So I, I hope they throw it on the uh, Blu-ray as a deleted scene so I can at least watch it. Um, cause I do feel like there should have been a little bit more of something to do for aunt may, but in the scenes that she had, Marissa Tomei was, was very good. Like she, she obviously cared about Peter, but I also liked that she was more of a, 
uh, you know, for, for lack of a better phrase, like just more of a modern uh, aunt and like more and more of a modern like parental figure in that like you know, most people who are 15 years old, like their aunt is not 75 <laughs> like we saw in yes. know, Spider-Man movies or in the comics, like their aunts are in like their 40s and 50s. So which is I mean, she could still be an aunt of I know a great aunt, whatever. But um, I, I like that she, you know, updating this role like allow and plus giving the chance for Marissa Tomei to be in this role because she's so great. Like she's such a terrific actress. That's why I just wanted to see them like use her more because she can obviously do a lot more than what she was offered to do in this film. Um, but the, she was terrific in their scenes. Like their scenes together, I, I thought were touching, and I thought that she really, you know, that she conv- And I like that she kind of pushed Peter like out of his nerdy ways a little bit or, or like tried to encourage him to have fun like when she's dropping him off at the party she's like talking it up like oh like a party in the suburbs i remember these like she's always trying to get peter to have fun uh not necessarily peter just be the responsible kid like i because i i like that it's not just this thing of and maybe that's overplayed in, in other movies and maybe even in the comics a little bit that it's it's all about Peter's responsibility to Aunt May, and I like that the way Marissa Tomei plays it. It's also Aunt May's responsibility to Peter of like, well, I'm your mother now, so like I have to, I have to encourage you to live your life. And I love that that was what Aunt May is trying to do. And and I love the I love the bit at the end. I love the what the f at the oh end of the God. movie with Aunt May figuring out that he's Spider Man because we I know they've they've messed with stuff like that in the comics before, but. Like to really bring that into with these movies, it it reminded me of I Am Iron Man in two thousand eight. Yes. The way it just ends with that punch of like, oh shit! So what's going to happen next? Like, and what I think what will help with that is you know the stuff that I'm complaining about now with Aunt May. Like I think it kind of solves that problem because mm-hmm. going forward she knows that Peter is Spider Man. She gets to be involved in that part of the story where she never got to be involved before. So I think that's going to allow Aunt May to have. Uh, the bigger role that she deserves to have and something that Marissa Tomei can do a lot more with. Yeah. So Marissa Tomei, I've I've been very not shy about expressing how much I think she's beautiful and she's like, I've I've had a crush on Marissa Tomei since like the mid early nineties. So she's just, yeah, she's amazing and everything she does. I mean, she's not only just looks beautiful. She's a fantastic actress. So, um, she was great as Aunt May. I, again, there, you know, as of the last, I want to say, 10 years, maybe less than that, eight years, they really made an emphasis to make Aunt May younger. Even in the regular series, mm-hmm. um, Aunt May remarried J. Jonah Jameson's dad. And that's um, saying older people can't get married or remarried, you know, whatever. But, again, there's a youthfulness that they're, they, they, they put into the character that I noticed. Kind of like not similar to like this, but just the same thing as Star-Lord, you know, from the comic books. Star-Lord mm-hmm. was a grizzled vet for a long time, and then they kind of just, you know, retconned him into some young guy, you know, after the Thanos initiative. Um, or impaired, whatever the hell that was called. Um, yeah. yeah, well, uh, after, it was actually after, like, during and then, like, right after uh, Annihilation Conquest. Like, that was kind of where, like, you know, they changed it. And also, it was, you know, like, not that long after, like, you know firefly because that was when they definitely started pattering star lord in the comics star lord was very very if you read like the albert and landmine run of 2008 from <laughs> abbott and landing like they were totally going for like there's definitely a nathan fillion vibe to what they were going absolutely for in those books. yes 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so what I'm trying to say is that that I think Marvel's been trying to de-age Aunt May for a while. They did somewhat successfully in the comic books, um, in the regular six six sixteen universe. Also in, in the, the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, exactly, she still had exactly. white hair, but she was very she was like, much younger looking. So basically, she's—I would say that the same age as Marissa Tomei, so she has white hair. Right. Like that's honestly like she lost the coloring of her hair more than anything because she's very youthful and like looks about. It goes on dates with her with his principal. So I mean, like he—she's a. They, again, they make her even even the first episode. They emphasize like you. What you expect from my older, you know, you know, doting aunt? Yeah. You know, it's just like playing video games. So I mean, they have gone above and beyond to really emphasize and try to take away the the the, the traditional Aunt May character. Now, as far as Aunt May knowing who Spider-Man is, as far as in the six sixteen, that's been done a couple different times. Once in Amazing Spider-Man four hundred, when she's about to die, mm-hmm. she dies and tells Peter she's always known he's Spider-Man. Which ended up not to be the real Aunt May. That was it was an actress playing someone playing Aunt May that uh, Norman Osborn replaced her with. Yeah, and then um, I still got, have that comic. <laughs> yes, I have. I, I think I have it too. Yeah. Um, but, but it's it's ridiculous. And mm. then um, and then when they bring her back later on um, in uh, JMS's run um, after he defeats and gets his ass rung, he defeats Morlun, but his ass is officially kicked. He passes out. Yep. Into uh, into uh, the laundry room where Aunt May sees him as Spider Man, and it's actually the JMS handled the Aunt May Spider Man stuff really really well, and I recommend reading that run. It's great. So I mean, and, and to be honest, I've always I kind of always liked Aunt May knowing he's Spider Man. It adds extra tension to it, and like you said, it's the same thing to Iron Man that you've solved the problem of Aunt May not doing that much by making her now a part of the equation of like, what are you doing as Spider-Man? Where were you? Were you in space? Like yeah. imagine explaining to Aunt May, he was fighting Thanos with the Avengers in space. If that's what they're probably going to do. I mean, that's going to be a fun, ridiculous scene. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so, I mean, I'm excited where they're going to go with this. I think this, this was – it was an unexpected but great move. Even Kevin Feige has gone out and said, you know, we weren't, we're not we're not going out to make the same movies. we got to make these movies right. different. So what's the first thing they do? They make Ant-May discover who he is. I mean, bingo, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's brand new territory for them to cover that n- that none of the other movies have addressed, and and also it allows them to it it allows them to skip like a lot of the stuff that might be a little more problematic of like just like like they live in like a two bedroom apartment. Like, how are you yeah. really going to hide? Like, it's one thing when Aunt May is like much much older and not like like and not necessarily like as aware as of of everything that's going on, but like. Obviously, Marissa Tomei's version of Aunt May is is like sharp and still able to notice that like, like, you know, because she even says like they have that scene earlier where it's like, where do you go? What have you been doing? Like, she obviously knows that something is up. And so to have that, you know, to have her just know, like, you know, just kind of like the Iron Man stuff, like, you know, the same way that Marvel, for the most part, like just did away with secret identities. Peter still has one as Spider-Man. And, and obviously there's stuff in like, like. Matt Murdock has one on in on the Netflix shows, but like for the most part, like they've gone away from the secret identities and and now by having at least some people know Peter's secret, like I think I just all, I think all of that just plays much more naturally, and I and I'm gonna and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun and opens up new uh, new possibilities that we've never seen in Spider-Man movies before, and that that's exactly what you need 
what you need to have because we have had so many Spider-Man movies already now since uh, since 2002 in, in these last uh, 15 years. So um, I think we'll have to go through like a lightning round of like other stuff that we really liked in the movie before we <laughs> yeah. before we kind of wrap up. Um, we haven't talked a lot about the action in here, but I, I just I, I did love the the action sequences here. I mentioned the the Washington Monument bit. I thought the ferry boat scene was also done very very well. Um, I loved the Batman homage to Michael Keaton's Vulture, like right after he drops uh, Spider Man, like you see his silhouette as Vulture up against the moon, like totally backlit, like the Batwing from Batman eighty nine. That was a cool moment. Um, I love the the Captain America training videos were awesome, and I love the oh, God. I love the work criminal joke <laughs> yes yeah, i'm pretty perfect. sure this guy's a war criminal now but this is nope. video still required by the state so whatever <laughs> like, <laughs> um obviously the patience bit as the the final like post-credit scene i thought that's instantly one of my favorite after credit scenes of all time uh is just like playing right onto that playing right on that but my favorite uh video is actually detention because i just love steve oh, Rogers yeah. being like you screwed up time to make it right <laughs> like i just <laughs> totally captain america yeah, man so great I, there's just so much cool i loved you know there's we could spend a whole entire show like a different you know uh, it's its own podcast in itself like like just the idea of like all the different little mcu easter eggs that you get because uh adrian tombs and his crew are dealing with mm. the both shockers and who are both shockers in the comics, by the way. And then also the tinkerer, like dealing with all these MCU artifacts for stuff from the Chitari, the dark elves. Uh, there's an Ultron head in there, like all the different cool little like MCU stuff. I thought there was just a ton of fun in there. Like, well, this is definitely a great movie to go back and watch over and over and over again, to spot all the different MCU things in there. And it was such a cool way to have like, kind of a, a quick little history of the mcu for like serving two purposes one like it makes spider-man feel like instantly at home in this universe and the second part though is that like uh well i had a second part but i'm losing it <laughs> i have to try and remember it uh but no actually no it's a great kind of recap uh since this is a movie that comes out just 10 months before infinity war this is kind of a cool little recap of like some mcu history going into yeah. avengers infinity war um, so I don't think that was necessarily the intention behind it, but it is a cool, like, you know, side effect of, of doing that. So there's just tons and there's just tons of other cool little moments. Like, um, I love the, the, you know, the Ferris Bueller bit, although I wish they hadn't actually shown a clip of Ferris Bueller during it. Yeah. Like, don't explain the joke. Don't explain the homage. Like I just, but for the people who don't know that movie as well as maybe we do, you know, people who are younger and maybe don't know the haven't seen that movie a million times like i understand why you need to like hit the nail on the head like and then hit it again in order to make sure people understand mm -hmm. the reference that you're going for um but i also I, I just one little bit i liked about that sequence though as you talked is um i love how it kind of showed like the limitations of spider-man's powers how like mm -hmm. in manhattan like or in queens with buildings to like you know shoot wet like you know sling webs from He's very powerful, but like out in the suburbs, like all of a sudden you see there are limitations. Obviously, he still has super strength and reflexes and all this other stuff, but 
Like, I just, I love that it's like, okay, well, he's kind of limited because when he's out at like a driving range and he tries to fire a web off, there's nothing to really latch it onto. (laughs) And I love that they had actually set that up because you had Ned earlier saying like, have you ever, like, if I were you, I would just stand and like shoot a web and just see how far it could go. Um, And now Peter finds out (laughs) how far it could go. Uh, So I just, so many cool moments throughout. And I think that that's the kind of stuff that I think this is a movie that will probably get better for me and even as much as i love it already once i start trying to even figure out where to rank it i think it's going to like be a movie that slowly creeps up just because it has so many other little things that just help uh, help elevate it yeah a quick lightning round for me uh, obviously happy hogan john Favre's oh yeah character. yeah so great i mean he was the little bit he was in it was fantastic he was a great addition oh my god um, when, it was when nice ned, when ned calls him you gotta be shitting me <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and he's like okay the hulkbuster armor here thor's uh, thor's oh, magic man. belt a new, uh, a new shield for cap yeah. we didn't even talk about yeah. that yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's a. I think it's just a, a random thing. I don't think it's a real shield. I think it's he'll get the shield back. Um, well, I think. It's, and then, well, um, keep in mind that shield's a little bit beat up. It it does it does have Black Panther claws in it, so maybe he does need true. a new shield. Maybe maybe he modifies it or the, the vibranium or whatever. Um, here's well, here's also, an emotional here's an emotional component to it. Like Tony made him drop that because he said that's my father's shield. He made that shield. And that and Steve dropped it because Steve ultimately let Howard down in like that way that he feels, you know, that whatever responsibility he feels for Bucky, even though obviously he had nothing to do with it, but he didn't necessarily come forward with the information when he had it. It would be like the ultimate like symbolic gesture of Tony to give Steve a shield that he's made. Right. No, I, and we disagree on the on the motivation of him dropping the shield. I still think he's it's an f you to Tony. Like I don't need the shield. It doesn't make me. But that's that's a whole other yeah. whole other podcast. We we argued about that. Um, but uh, but no, I think that I I agree with you that it would be a good it would be a cool thing to kind of complete yeah. the circle to have Tony complete a brand new shield for him to use and update it or whatever. So yeah. that that is cool. Um, so other things, um, I loved about uh, random things. Um, like, like you said, I, I, I liked, I love the, the Karen stuff. Oh, that was great. Oh man. I can't uh, believe we forgot to talk about Karen. Yeah. G- Jennifer Connelly, the, the, the real life, uh, wife. wife of Jarvis. Yes. <laughs> um, so incredible. So it was a really nice touch when, when she says, now's your time, Peter, kiss her. Oh man. While, he's, was, hanging up, while he's hanging upside down. Oh my god, that that was yeah. that was perfect. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I, again, it's it's stuff that's cute. There's a lot of cute stuff that you I can just do. love that bit. Like when he's first like you know talking to her, like oh I feel bad that I keep calling you suit lady. Like I should like I'm gonna call, call you Karen. Karen. I'm gonna call you Karen. And then like how like they're he's like going through the different web combinations. He's just hanging out like just thinking about life. And he's like how long has it been? Thirty seven minutes. What? <laughs> like, I know that was that oh, was perfect. Man. I mean, oh God, that's like me, man. So yeah, yeah no, it, there's there's so many just great little things in this. But the, I think honestly, a lot of people had issues. Not a lot. I, I, I just see a few people kind of being like grumbling a little bit about the whole the Iron Man proposal for to Gwyneth Paltrow's Pepper Potts. 
Um, but I thought it was really cute. I'll be honest. Like when when the fact that John Favreau. I mean, think about this. The actor who also directed the first two Iron Man films that is there, and he's yeah. like, he's still a part of this universe, mm-hmm. and he's having fun with it. I love John Favreau to death, and I love the fact they give him the fact they gave him the, the ring, and he said, "I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this since 2008." Like, I mean, yeah. it's pretty meta, you know. But it's so perfect. I loved it, and I I had no problem. They included that into into the Spider-Man, you know, Homecoming movie. So I know people were like, "That's a Spider-Man movie." Blah, 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 you know, I don't, I don't care. I, I thought it was really cute. And obviously, they're not going to do any more Iron Man solo films. Yeah. With, with uh, well, maybe, Junior. Maybe, maybe. Never know. But I hope so. As far as we know now, they're they're probably not, and that's why they included this into the movie, probably. So, in my opinion, so yeah, there's a lot of little cute stuff in there that I really liked, and so, yeah, I, I like you know to end. I think Spider-Man: Homecoming is almost perfect, and I I love it. Yeah, I just like you. I mean, I I absolutely love the movie. I had so much fun with it. I I enjoyed it so much, and 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 again when we say fun on this show we don't mean it in the way that like you know the mocking way that some people are oh Marvel movies are fun it's like yeah because like making fun movies actually isn't easy if it was everybody would do it and they would be as successful as Marvel Studios but they're not because it's not an easy thing to do movies are not easy to make look at the movie The Room from 2003 (laughs) well because but look but part of what makes the movie fun it's not just oh it's got jokes like the jokes land because you like and care about the characters the drama lands because you care about the characters and what's happening to them and and the other i think the one of the coolest things that this movie does when you look at spider-man and there's been all this talk lately about you know because spider-man has the first movie after avengers 4 of spider-man kind of you know taking the reins and kind of leading the charge in like the post phase three marvel cinematic universe in whatever shape that takes like i i think this movie almost kind of gives you a taste of that, not just in terms of who Spider-Man is, but also in the types of stories that you can still tell within the MCU. Uh, because, you know, the question is, well, what does Marvel do after telling, like, the biggest possible story that they could tell with Infinity War and Avengers 4? And it's, it's you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, Ant-Man after Avengers Age Voltron in 2015, but, like, this takes it even further of being like, well, look, we don't have to just keep blowing this up bigger and bigger and bigger. We can still have stakes that feel really, really big, even in a story that relative to an infinity gauntlet is actually kind of, is actually kind of small. We can still tell a great story on this smaller scale and have you still feel it in a, and still make you feel the story and feel these characters and what they're going through in a big, big way. Cause if you care about these characters and you, you understand what matters to them, then those things are going to matter to you as well. And I think that's what this movie did such a beautiful job of, of showing with Spider-Man Homecoming, because ultimately the, the, the stakes in this, in theory, like objectively speaking, they pale in comparison to Age of Ultron or Infinity War. But relative to but once you add that subjective that subjectivity to it and you're in this mo- in the in the moment with these characters, then even small stuff like you know getting a date for the homecoming dancer asking out the girl that you've had this huge crush on or having to deal with 
a guy who maybe isn't a global threat, but is a huge, huge problem for you and your neighborhood, like that becomes a big deal. And, you know, you don't feel any loss of stakes with that. So I think it's really cool for Spider-Man Homecoming to demonstrate that because I actually think that's going to be a key component for MCU movies going forward in terms of restructuring, you know, or taking things back to what we used to think about in terms of stakes for these stories, that it's not just always about uh, a bigger and bigger and threat to more and more people. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, love Spider-Man Homecoming. Hopefully you guys all loved it as well. Uh, But that is where we are going to wrap up this edition of the Marvel News podcast. So if you want to keep up with with Marvel News, you can do that on the website, marvelstudiosnews.com, or on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. You can also keep up with Superhero News at Superhero News CB on Twitter. Uh, Superheronews.com is the website, and also the Superhero News YouTube channel, uh, where you can find me. You can still find me every week talking about superheroes and reviewing movies like they're there's a couple Spider-Man reviews on there. By the time you're listening to this, uh, there's and tons of other stuff and talking about different Marvel news and Marvel stories. And we'll get back into the swing of things, like I said. Probably not on a weekly basis still for a little while, but we'll start getting more stuff and getting caught up on things like Black Panther. Uh, well, I'm sure there'll be stuff from D23 this week and Comic-Con next week, but Black Panther, uh, Inhumans, for better or for worse, and also <laughs> catching up with the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 review, which we uh, haven't done yet. So we'll get caught up on all those things. But in the meantime, Paul, where can everybody keep up with you? People can find me at or on Twitter <laughs> at Herman22 with two N's. Um, I've been, I, I kind of experimented a little bit with Periscope. I think I'm going to do a, a little bit more stuff with that, with kind of some live comic book reviews and things like that for like Marvel stuff, comic book stuff, and obviously Star Wars stuff as well. So check that out. Um, and my other Star Wars podcast at, uh, at Blaster Cannon Pod. That's Cannon with C-A-N-O-N. Um, so, yeah, or I talk about Star Wars with my friends, Saf and uh, Megan. And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Sean Gerber with Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.